All right, so today we have on the phone Dr. Tom Hansen. Tom earned his PhD with a spe specialization in sports psychology from the University of Virginia in 91, where he also served as the Cavaliers hitting coach for three seasons. He then became a tenured professor and head baseball coach at Skidmore College in New York before starting a coaching and consulting company in 1997. And you can go to headsupperformance.com to see more on that. Hansen also authored Play Big, Mental Toughness Secrets that Take Baseball Players to the Next Level, which won ABCA's, which is the American Baseball Coaches Association's Best in Show Award in 2012. The book is a fictional account of a young player learning the mental game from a mysterious coach. Tom is a leading authority of mental game assessments, which are used for both player development and selection in baseball, softball, and other sports. He has extensive experience coaching in both sport and business, formerly full-time director of performance enhancement with the New York Yankees. He also has consulted with the Texas Rangers, Anaheim Angels, and Minnesota Twins in professional baseball. His business client list includes Fannie Mae, American Express, Transamerica, Kaiser Permanente, Microsoft, Verizon, John, John's Eastern, Public Trust Advisors, and I think it's Kira Solutions, and numerous small business owners. He co-authored with his wife, oh man, I'm going to... Uh, Birgit. Birgit? Birgit. Birgit. There we go. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, and that's Zacher, I'm guessing there. Zacher? Yep. Hansen? All right. Mm -hmm. A master certified coach, another bestseller. Who will do what by when, how to improve performance, accountability, and trust with integrity. The book provides a simple system for enhancing relationships, communication, and effectiveness in the workplace. And Dr. Tom Hansen lives in Florida, uh, Tampa, Florida, with his wife, son, CJ, and daughter, Angelina. Well, welcome to this interview here, Dr. Hansen. I really appreciate your time, and we'll go into kind of how I found you uh, when I was back in high school, but I just want to welcome you to the show. All right. Thank you very much. Looking forward to a, a lively conversation. I respect your work a great deal and look forward to trading some ideas with you here. And I appreciate that. And, and I, I don't know if many who have read your work know that, that you were the hitting coach, uh, you know, back in your earlier life, uh, back over in, was that, um, at, at University UVA? Of Virginia. Yeah. 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 So. That was when I was getting my, when I was getting my PhD there. Uh, it was a little unusual because the PhD is a research degree, but I wanted to go to UVA because the guy, Bob Brutella, who's a big mental game guy on the PGA Tour, still is, mm -hmm. um, he really encouraged me to be a coach. Um, you know, it sounds obvious kind of now. It's like, well, of course you'd want to be actually coaching and doing stuff. But at the time, that was pretty rare, and it's still a, you know, a PhD, it's a more of a research-oriented degree. So, Worked out great. It was three seasons um, there, and uh, then went on to be the head coach for seven years at a Division three school. So I've got uh, some experience there, and then a little league coach yeah. well, with, as my son, who's now 14. So um, it all got real personal for me um, when that started. That's that's a whole different deal. And and we're going to go into that for sure. I was going. I was. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you. Um, but it, it's, I think it's rare to get, and would you consider yourself a sports performance psychologist? Is that pretty fair to? I, I would, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say not that. I just, I, I wouldn't say psychologist because it's a licensed term. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. But yeah, I mean, mental you know, game guy. Right, mental game guy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's rare to have somebody with your, your knowledge base in academia plus also having the, 
application in the sport itself and, and hitting, you know, obviously my site, Hitting Performance Lab is, is more specific in hitting. So it's nice to, to talk to somebody who has a, a, a nice big background in, in, um, you know, sports performance psychology um, and somebody who's actually played the game, you know, because yep. I, I think one of the big <clears throat> hurdles that some coaches have is, well, that, that works in academia, but that doesn't work in, in uh, the real world. You know, <laughs> I'm like, um, okay. So right. those are some of the, the, the obstacles. So it's nice when we got somebody with both so we can, we can confirm or deny whatever it get, you know, gets turned up. So, uh, one of the first questions I wanted to ask you was, what uh, I know you you kind of go over it a little bit in the back of the book of of Heads Up Baseball. Um, actually, before I get there, I think the the story of how I found Heads Up Baseball yes. is shooting. I think you guys what was ninety four is when you guys published the the first yep. edition and the one version. And I I think I picked it up around that time is either ninety four ninety five. And I was like Heads Up Baseball. And and at that time I was really thick into reading other hitting books, uh, Tony Gwynn's and Charlie Lau's and Mike Schmidt's and Ted Williams and you know, I was so confused when it came to mechanics, but your your book really cut through the noise for me on the mental side, and I was like, wow, this like it's so simple, and I was almost skeptical because it was so simple, but it, it really helped me out, I think, really cut through, I think it was my junior year, so it had to have been about 96, is um, I was after my sophomore year, I just finally said, you know what, I'm done with all these hitting books, I'm done with just trying to follow who, you know, who's saying what and whatnot, and just, I'm just going to do whatever feels right, and I think that was right about that time that I came across Heads Up Baseball, and so it really, really helped simplify things for me on the field, and was I was able to, by the end of my high school season, get a scholarship, you know, I was grateful to get a scholarship to go to Fresno State and play for four years where, you know, tuition free, um, so I think, I think your book's awesome, and the, so the first question I was going to ask was uh, what were the two, two or three major changes to an already great book? Because I, I thought the book was awesome from the start. And again, I know you addressed this in, in the book. I think a couple people had, had uh, come up to you and, and Ken and were like, uh, yeah, I think it's a big mistake because it's already a good book. So, you know, why would you add <laughs> anything to it? So what were the two, ma uh, two or three major changes that you guys made that you either cut out or that you added in? One is that we really focused on competing. That's mm -hmm. like, you know, one of the, we talk about one pitch at a time, and it's still about that. That's still right. the basic mantra. And yet, it's easy for that to, to say, okay, well, yeah, it's beautiful. I played one pitch at a time. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that, like, when I came right out of school before, and then, yeah, just before I was writing Heads Up Baseball with Ken, I was a head college coach at Skidmore College. I come out as PhD boy, first head coach with this team, and we would, you know, I would find myself in the outfield saying, "Hey guys, nice job! I was routine. I saw a lot of good breaths out there. Saw you working it, you know." And over my shoulder was a scoreboard that said, "We got beat eleven to two. <laughs> yeah. And so it, I fell into. A uh, real common trap with the mental game, and what coaches really want to avoid. One, often people say, oh, "I don't want to get in the mental game. I don't want my guys thinking out there." Right. The I mean, just too, too, too like processy, too like playing beautifully or executing the routine, forgetting that the purpose of the routine, the purpose of anything that we do, mental game, is to compete. 
right. that compete, like give 100% of what you got right now to win this next pitch. So it isn't enough to just go through the motions of doing the things on the on the pages, and we really wanted to emphasize that a lot more. And it's also the real dearth or um, shortcoming right now, but we hear as we talk to particularly D1 coaches, that players come out in a showcase mentality and they don't know how to compete. Mm. You don't see as many scrappers that are just going to do whatever it takes to beat you. They're more of in their own one, one-man one show with their parents and coaches and their entourage, mm-hmm. and they'll just show up for a showcase and, it's a, and, and not have that competing. So that was a big emphasis we wanted to put in. Uh, another would be just simply that we had so many stories and so much learning like that mm-hmm. that we had gained over you know over 20 years that we wanted to um, take another shot at it. And we actually thought we'd do it real pretty quick. <laughs> I got to interview Ken. We'd write it up, edit it, and there off we'd go. But we both just have too high standards to do that, and I just kept looking as I, I want to simplify it without being too simple, right? In the start of the book, there's a quote from Einstein, that things should be made as simple as possible, but no simpler. And therein lies out of the complexity of human performance, and particularly as it relates to the mental game, but really to anything, that as soon as you say, well, it's this, a hitter needs to be aggressive, Ah, but you got to be patient. <laughs> you got to be intense. <laughs> you got to be relaxed. So, well, which is it? It's and it's both and, but it depends on the player and the situation. And there's just so many variables. That's how we ended up with a book largely about keeping it simple. That's 394 pages long, right? Because we felt like we want to make it as simple as possible, but no simpler. And a last piece I'll add is just to have modern players. We had so many people, especially for Ken Revisa, who has worked so closely with so many top players that it's great that you, you know to have like a Burt Blylevin, but so many people don't know who those people are. And then we can we can have Trout and the, you know the current Cubs and Joe Madden um, and have real fresh people. Um, we wanted to take advantage of that. Right. I and I agree and that's that's one of the things right away that I saw. I mean, you guys put Anthony Rizzo on the cover, which um I want to say it was Ozzy Guillen was on the cover before yeah. the one I read, right? Really? If you got a Guillen, yeah, you absolutely got a first right. uh, a first edition. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because he had that big tin in his in his pocket uh that seemed to leap out and it's like, well, that's not quite the image we're looking to. <laughs> <laughs> to, uh, can, you know, portray for what this is about. So, right. He, uh, he got replaced by JT Snow pretty fast. Right, right. Yeah. So I, I noticed that right away. And then a lot of, you know, you got Joe Madden, you got some fresh faces. I totally, and that's in my, my own marketing myself, you know, trying to stay current. And, you know, if you got, of course, if you got a book on the old timers, you get, you have pictures and illustrations of old timers. But, you know, if you got more sophisticated or not sophisticated, more just, just the general knowledge base that has grown. You want to have, um, you know, like catapult loading system. Not a lot of people are teaching it, and so you got to have more relevant type of stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I I, I loved uh, you know a lot of the the new things that I saw in this book. And um, one of one of the other questions I was going to ask you was uh, if you could only direct coaches to maybe one chapter or two chapters in the book, what would they be? Um, I I did notice. The, the heads up practice, which I think 
I think it was in the, ori the, the original, the first one, where you guys maybe have added some stuff to it. But um, that one for me, because I, I get questions all the time from coaches, you know, how do we take uh, a really groove batting practice swing and transition it into games? And, uh, you know, I really like that that chapter. So what if, if that chapter is one of them or another chapter that you recommend for coaches, like if they pick the book up, where they need to go first? I would actually say chapter two, which is about know it, do it, own it, which is a process by which you learn. Because if you don't have that concept um, of, of, of a learning progression, then it's easy to fall into thinking that it's a quick fix. Oh, there's some mental game quick fix. Or that, hey, this doesn't work. I tried that. It doesn't work. Uh, or a coach might fall into, okay, we're all going to do that. Well, I see on TV, watch the College World Series. Seems like every guy puts his back foot in, takes a breath, and looks at the fat part of the bat, and then steps in, right. which is, you know, straight out of heads up baseball. Yeah. And and so okay, guys, we're all going to do that, and it's so easy to miss that. So the the progression here of know it, do it, own it is know it, meaning ah, okay, a routine. I know a routine, a purpose of a routine to get myself ready to compete, help me transition into this next pitch. Um, taking a breath, here's what I'm going to do. Okay, I get that. That's a routine. If I do this routine, it will help me. The way a checklist helps a pilot make sure he or she covers everything before they take off. Okay, I got it. Well, that's, you know that, but that doesn't really help you any more than knowing how to do a push-up <laughs> gives you arm strength. So then you, you progress to do it, which is practice it. Take something out of the book, take some idea, and it could be as, as physical. I mean, that's one of the things when you get circled back to that between, it's a very artificial dichotomy between mental and physical game. It's really a human being playing baseball. And that's, to me, at the heart of this is, well, what is the view of the human? What's a human being? What is that thing in front of you? Coach, as you're looking at it, and, and it's a person, but, you know, can you break it into parts? Right. And is it really mental? Can I mess with his hands without messing with his head? Right. Uh, is it, you know, his thoughts? So um, do it. I mean, okay, practice. Do these things. Here's what Rizzo does. Here's what Longoria does. I, I, I know what to do, you know, like why I kind of get that. And now I'm going to do it. And But that's not enough. You want to get all the way to own it, which is, well, here's how I do it. The intro... I could, if you're if you're wanting something shorter, mm. recommend Socha's mm. Mike Socha's intro, where he's talking about, hey, I've seen three thousand big league games. The best players, the seen players that seem to succeed, have a system that this is how they approach the game. This is what they do, and they go and they work their system such that it helps their talent avoid evaporating under pressure. Mm. And so the book is really about how to help people develop their own performance process, their competing process. How to come? Here's how I compete, and the book then is a whole menu of things to do that you can choose to do it. But then the goal is really to become to own it, have your way of doing it. And so you know it would be akin to with the hitting. It's like, okay, well, here's some principles. And you talk about, well, here's here's some things that generally good hitters do. Mm -hmm. And here's why 
and I've tested that out. You, though, have to find your own way to do it. I've, for some time, one of the things I liked about you, I remember one thing you said early on was um, Goldilocks. Mm. You use Goldilocks all the time. Yeah. It's like, well, that's too much, that's too little, that's just right for her. Right. <laughs> that was right for her. Obviously, the one for Daddy Bear was right for him. Right. I hope it was. <laughs> it was if he got to choose, he's Daddy Bear, he should get to choose. And and but for her, for Goldilocks herself, this one was just right. And 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 then like take that another step further was like, well this is what's right for me right now. Mm. This is what's right for me today. Right. Now that's that's where the foundation becomes you gotta know yourself. Understand it's like, okay, what can I learn? What how can I learn about the catapult launch system or or about a mental game? I want to learn about, oh, what's out there? That's the know it part. Then let me try this. Then let me try this. Let me try this. Give it a fair enough shot. Then it's like, you know what? I do it this way. And that's step three. Mm. Or level three, own it. It's like, here's how I do it. And so that's why that to me, which isn't in the first book at all, um, became so central because we were trying, Ken and I were always... This was a four-year process yeah. <laughs> for a number of reasons, but part of it was our own exploration that we'd sit on the phone and talk for hours about, here, we're, we're running into this, and here's the running into this, or about this. And I always want models. I always want, like the, the, the cold book. I was texting with a woman yesterday whose daughter is, being, <laughs> is on a baseball team, and she's got a test on Thursday. And she was asking for help, and I was like, well, make sure you know ramp C. Here's the five skills, because everything revolves around that model. Right. So, I with it's like I want a model to help to to so that you become more wise. You know, application of a model rather than oh, just put your toe here. Right. Well, a monkey could do that, but it would be like, well, not everyone should put their toe there. Should I put my toe there? And and how do you with with the challenges that coaches run into with the mental game and players? I wanted a a model with a process that would explain almost all the questions that come in with problems for the mental game, and that's where you know I came to well you know it conceptually, but then you have to do it, you practice it, but really ultimately everyone gets to their own. Expression. So here's my self-expression um, on the field, and here's how I do it. Yeah, you can see here's I do these five things, ramp C, but I do it my way. And I know myself well enough and I'm skilled enough to be able to apply it moment to moment, really, right? Um, to give myself my best chance to be successful. Right, and, and you mentioned ramp C. Um, can you go into that a little bit? Because it's uh, you know some people that might not be familiar with it, but I, I think it's I think it's beautiful. Just like and I think you mentioned in the book where you said you know I'm not or both you guys I think we're just not really into acronyms. But sometimes you know acronyms, like you said, can organize information or organize certain bits of knowledge and can make it especially if you can make it associate to what you want them to do. And I think using ramp and then the C part of it. Uh, I think it really kind of explains what you're trying to get hitters to do. So can you explain ramp C a little bit? 
Yeah, it came out of, again, a quest for a unifying model so you wouldn't just have random parts flying around. And so we had nine principles. And then like, that's too many. Oh, we can cut it to here to seven. Uh -huh. and, and then it's like, nope, five. <laughs> and just that, that's part of what took, literally took years was to hone that down. Um, because I, I really like seven habits of highly effective people. Mm -hmm. There's a, a model that everything hangs on. And that's part of my graduate school training, you know, both my master's. Well, especially my master's guys, like, have a model, have a model, yeah. have a model. Can you, can you, it's, it's, it's easier to write at great length. It's harder to be concise and really get clear. And so we honed it down to responsibility is first. That's the R. R it's R-A-M-P-C. R is the foundation of a pyramid um, model that it is, which is responsibility, which I choose. I can choose my focus. You can only choose your feelings, but you can choose, oh, here's what I'm going to focus on and here's what I'm going to do. Right. And it's my responsible for my own performance. I'm, you know, uh, I mean, this, this is the whole, in a way, it's the whole thing. What choices are you going to make with your focus and your actions in the time that you have playing baseball? And so the whole book is, a, again, a buffet of choices that someone can make to give themselves their best chance to succeed in baseball. And so responsibility is that, uh, you know, responding with ability. Here's the situation. What are you going to do? How, like a great coaching question, if you could take one thing from this conversation, would be the question, how did, how did you choose to respond? Mm. So a, a coach is saying, oh, the umpire, umpire screwed me, la, la, la. <laughs> And they're going on, it's like, oh, yeah, how did you choose to respond? It's like, well, <laughs> you feel how that question instantly right. puts the responsibility on the player. Oh, this happened. Oh, that happened. You hear him complaining and just say, oh, how did you choose to respond? Yeah. And that's at the essence of what responsibility is. So um, A is awareness. Two, two real elements of awareness, which is just being conscious of, um, knowing yourself generally. Well, I, I, I'm a pretty high-strung guy and I talk. Like my son yeah. is an extrovert. I'm much more introvert, introverted. Uh, we can, if you want later, we can go into this assessment that I have where there's a whole language to it. But yeah. you want to know, he knows, and I know when I see him, he, if he's not talking and laughing and goofing with his teammates, then there's an issue. Mm. That wouldn't have been true with me because that wasn't me. So um, you want to know yourself generally, or what ha generally happens to me under under pressure. What's generally my best hitting approach? I'm generally hitting best when I'm doing what? And um, then, so so generally is awareness, and then specific about what, what's going on right now. Hmm. It's sort of like the climate and the weather. Well, generally it's hot, but right now it's cold. And so right now what's happening? Whoa, I'm winding up. There's an 11-year-old in a cage yesterday. My son and I got to this place where, we, um, where he takes lessons. And they were, <laughs> you guys were kind of on this guy because he was pretty jacked up. He was pretty mad, <laughs> um, the hitter. And so what he needed to be able to do 
was recognize that, oh, wait, this is a traffic light thing we talk about where you have an inner traffic light and where if it's green, you feel good. Let's go. Mm. Let's let's play. Green, just like driving. Yellow is like, oh, wait a minute, losing a little bit. And red is he really lost. If this guy was totally in a red light situation. Right. And needed to be able to recognize that. So the key is to know yourself generally enough and then know yourself in the moment. Hey, check in. How am I doing? My good? Green light. Go. Yellow. Uh, maybe take a little extra breath. Take a little extra time. Red for sure do that. And then get really good at A, generating, um, generating a green light from nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, which I'm going to later, but um, let's stay on track with uh, getting as green as you can, then recognizing, hey, I'm starting to lose it and catch it early because once you really get to a red light, then it's hard to bring it back. Right. So that's awareness. Know yourself generally. Know what's going on right now. Uh, M is mission. What would you like to have happen? Guy's about to get into the box or about to step in and play. Hey, what would you like to have happen? What are you going up there to do? Mm. That was the focus from... For me yesterday, and I talked to the I talked to the guy that coaches him. I said, "Hey, I'd like you to work on this," <laughs> because when it comes from the actual dad, um, as a different dynamic. So, um, it's hey, what are you going up there to do? And that's the mission, and that that's a principle that's like, hey, on this pitch, what do you want to have happen? Mm. And for your career, what would you like to have happen? Right. So that one principle of having a target is expandable to all time dimensions and segments of the game. Like, oh, I'm on deck. What do you want? What's my mission here? I'm on the hole, walking to the play, um, so on. So that's M. P is preparation. That's kind of back on getting, generating a red light or a green light. How good can I get myself to feel? What do I need to do now to get myself ready to compete? And that can be preseason. I interviewed Carl Yastrzemski, and he said, oh, it's a lot about concentration and preparation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, tell me about preparation. I really thought he was talking about from the dugout to the plate. And he says, oh, I prepare in the offseason. Whoa, Uh, what do you mean? Tell me about that. (laughs) Well, I always worked hard. I loved to hunt and fish, but I would work out, and then I always felt like I deserved to do well. Whoa, that was cool. Mm. So preparation is, again, a principle for, hey, but, but for this pitch, what am I going to do to prepare for this pitch? What am I going to do to prepare for this season or this career? So that's why I like these. Again, the model with principles that apply in different situations, different dimensions. Right. And then all of that is to get ready to see, which is compete, which is get 100% of what you got right now to win this next pitch. Nobody has a green light, nobody has their A game all the time. The key and that and that the essence of the book and the whole heads up baseball approach is how can you get as much get a hundred percent of what you have to win the pitch. You might feel terrible. He um Ken has told the story a few times where he's talking to the Cubs um this year about winning the World Series and they said, okay, when that game seven in the World Series, raise your hand if you really felt good. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody felt like they had their A game. Uh-huh. They were bobbing and weaving and battling and, and competing with what they had. Hmm. And 
you know, they obviously ended up winning the game because they continued to compete and just do battle with what they have. So cool. that's a trip up ramp C and, um, you know, then there's a, a chapter where we applied to hitting a chapter where we applied to pitching and to defense and, and so forth. Yeah. I, I think, uh, and I, and I read, uh, that you guys had changed compete or changed trust to compete and, you know, I'm always, I'm always about that words mean something. So you have to choose which words that you use. Words can inspire or words can depress. And I think that decision to change trust, which trust is a good word. I mean, you guys mm-hmm. did a great job with that. I mean, trust is a great word, but like you said, you kind of turned up the, or you amplified a little bit more by saying compete. And athletes, all athletes, I think at all levels know what compete means. You know, you're trying to, winning at bat or you're trying to win on the mound or you know you're trying to trying to make sure that the ground ball doesn't doesn't eat you up or you're you know you're more aggressive on that ground ball to be able to field it and throw it you know accurately and stuff so i think that was such a great decision to change trust to compete even though trust was a really good word um, but i think p- compete really kind of put it in packaged this whole ramp part of it into like athletic you know being being competitive so uh kudos to you and, guys um Cool, and 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 uh, same with the word before, which was plan. We had mm. in the first book self control plan trust. Mm. Now we go control, which is check your traffic light, get as green as you can, and now commit. See, and there's mm. a lot more energy in the yes. word commit yes. than plan. Hey, let's make a plan. Yes. That's sort of like what I did with my guys after <laughs> back in my Skidmore story, <laughs> my early years was like, hey. Have a plan, right? And it's like, hey, com- commit, yeah, commit, man. Let's go. You got to commit. This is what it's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do right here. That feel and the whole body commits rather than just having a plan, which is more of a conceptual, right? Thing. Much more action oriented with commit. Um, so I wanted to get to. I want to get back to. Um, I want to return back to the how to how to take somebody who's got a yellow or red light and bring them into green. But before we get there. I wanted to ask you a question about, so you, so you have, let's see, so your daughter is, so your son, you said, CJ, he's 11? 11? He's 14. Oh, 14. The daughter's oh, 11. Right. You said, oh, daughter's yeah. 11. Okay. So when you, when you wrote the first book, you had no kids. Right. So what has the, you know, the, the experience now where you put, you put the first book out and now you're doing like a 20 year reflection and I saw you guys put in, I'm, uh, sometimes I guess this, this is, uh, what do you call it? Where, you know, you think of death, you, know, you think of your own funeral and, and you think, you know, how it kind of puts things in perspective and you, know. you appreciate things a lot more. And so you, you guys mentioned that you went on this kind of journey, this four year journey to revise this book where people were telling you you're crazy because you already did it. You, you already wrote a great book and, you know, you said, well, if we die, you know, what do we want? added to this book. Um, and so what were some of the lessons that that you learned, whether certain things you applied, uh, maybe you found a little bit more of a sticking point from the, um, you know, as you're, as you're kind of in these last 20 years when you, when you have the kids and they start getting of age where they're starting to play sports and stuff, what were some of the sticking points and maybe some of the things that really they excelled with uh, on the information in the book? Well, do you mean like my kids? Yeah, your kids. So, like, what what challenges? Well, my sons never kind of read it. No, no, no. They never. But you used 
you know how you mm-hmm. t- you taught them I'm sure uh, certain mindsets and how to how to deal with uh, whether it's them booting a ground ball at a, at a big point in the game or striking out. Uh, I don't know if both does your daughter play softball too? Well, she did. She did, and now she doesn't. She just started up with volleyball. Okay, so um, I mean sports, right? But it's a son. Oh, yeah, for for sure, and for sure with both of them. I, I you know, so much, so much of it for me then is the individual differences and remembering what the goal is. Mm. Um, what I, what I would say. For me to, to like sit back and watch this, I I, I, do, I develop. Here's the, what I would say is a plan, and here's what I would recommend at this point. Consider this: mm-hmm. that with my son, once I started to get a grasp of the incredible world of youth baseball, <laughs> of what's going on, because when I played, obviously it wasn't like that. I'm 55 years old, yeah. and and then I was a, even as a college coach, it wasn't like that. But then I left coaching. And I had about 10 years where I was out. And during those 10 years was the rise of travel baseball. Uh-huh. And it's like, oh, my gosh, how do you navigate this world? And, well, I want the best for my son, but what do I? What does that mean? <laughs> what do I want? And here's what I came to uh, in this process. And that is that I saw 13 or 14 as the end of phase one and phase one the main thing was to have him to to deepen his love of the game if he was going to fall in love with the game i wanted to create an environment that made it conducive to falling in love with the game he loves it from the beginning he you know seemed to mm-hmm. and i that was the number one thing i would think that you may have come across this as a as a learner um that I think it was the guy that wrote like Tipping Point and mm. Malcolm Gladwell, where he it was some, him or someone like that, that mm-hmm. you know, talent code or something. Right. Where it's like, well, what is the qualities of the, these great performers? What was the quality of their first teacher? Mm. And they thought, well, it might be a real technical skill. It really got them a head start on these. It's like, no, <sighs> the key was that they help the person fall in love with the activity, whether it's piano or baseball or tennis or singing or whatever it is, there's a love, a foundation of, I love this. Mm. And so my thing with my son was, became for me to stay grounded in that so that I didn't pick him apart mm. with stuff. Just like a hitting coach. Right. Can, to this day can just drive it. Oh, your hands, this, oh, you yeah, it was good, good with your hands, but your hips there. And like, and your feet, you know. Oh, now that's your head. <laughs> Go for crying out loud! <laughs> Driving the guy crazy with the feedback, and with the type of feedback. Right. And um, so I would have to like, he gets thrown out at third with to make the third out. You know, do I go in the car? It's like, son, how many times? <laughs> do I have to tell? It's like don't make the third. You made. The, I know that, but you did it. Yeah. <laughs> That's what happens. Right. That's what happens. All right, you know. I know. You know what, Dad? I think I've had enough of baseball. Yeah. Oh. And so it's mm-hmm. cultivating an environment. It's it's okay. What's the principle? It's like well, it's the environment, stupid. It's the environment which is like the relationship. Even you know people can take the stuff that you teach, which I I love, and we can still 
hopefully get to that. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's like, well, you could, you know, well, you literally could be Jesus, right? Yeah. Hey, love one another. And they, they <laughs> hang him or they you know, crucify him. Because right. It's like, it's a relationship thing. Right. You know, it's like, well, you could, well, no matter what your message, if the relationship isn't there, like when I started with the Yankees a uh, year before I went full time with them, I did a seminar or did a session, the guy whom I now have my son bring hitting lessons to, which is a really cool. great circle yeah. back. Um, he, uh, he, um, the guys, I say, well, well, what's the key here? And it was a, a process. I did them individually first, which was really smart to talk to them individually first before I talked to them as a group, all these minor league managers. And they said, hey, it's the, you got to get a player. What do you mean get a player? Well, it's a relationship. Get the trust, get the respect and rapport, and then anything's possible. One of my, my favorite line, I work it in probably every time I speak now, mm. is Joe Madden interviewed on TV after the Cubs um, didn't make it to the World Series. That first year with the Cubs, he's manager of the year. Hey, Chris, guy on TV says, what do you attribute your, or what, no, what was your, what was your primary focus? What were your priorities when you got to spring training for the first time with the Cubs? He goes, relationships. First three weeks, that was it. Relationships, uh, relationships, because, uh, with, with, with great relationships, almost anything's possible. Right. And with bad relationships, nothing is. Hmm. So there's no, you know, it's, it's like, well, that is, that's the fork in the road. The very first fork <laughs> you come to, do I believe in, in trust this guy or do I not? And it doesn't really matter what he knows. It's, it's, it's that relationship dynamic. You know, now my son, we only talk quite high levels, talk about catapult system and we're big on fascia and mm. he's got this leg kick and he's got this, this load and gets to a coach and says, you can't, you can't lift your leg that high. <laughs> you, you can't do that. You might get away with it younger, but now you get, you start to get, older you can't it's like well <laughs> you can't in my opinion you can't say that yeah. uh, if, if you if you have that's you know if you have a, a you know i don't know an advanced uh, i don't know a well-grounded yeah. map of what a human is and how they perform that that you're operating from that's what i pay attention now to a coach and as i negotiate uh or kind of lead lead my son through youth baseball, it's like finding coaches that I can have a relationship with that would have a map of what a human consists of um, that matches or works with mine. Right. And so that that whole piece of of of, of these big picture things like love and um, relationship are. They're like de complete deal breakers. Right. If <laughs> you would run into it all the time, I'm sure with your you coach a guy, and then he goes to his coach, yep. and the coach says, like, "No, you can't do that." And and what I am am trying to foster in my own son is the the power of relationship. Fortunately for him, he is uh, extroverted. He he talks, and that's one of the things coaches really like about him. Is right. he, he talks with them. 
And but part part of that's just natural, but it's part is like, hey, dude, you got relationships. Right. It's life is a relationship game. I can tell you a bunch of stories where things happen in my life because of relationships. Right. And and then they probably did haven't because of a lack of them. And so it's like, can you be in conversation with a coach? And can you, if a coach is listening, can you be a coach that can connect with people or are you so in your head about these concepts of what you need to get done and your agenda that you miss that you miss something like i was talking to i was doing a debrief of this assessment that i have with this coach it kind of catches a number of things about including your thinking style how you think mm -hmm. and i said whoa you're really high score on this conceptual part and and the doing part but it's really low on a personal score mm. and, and i said oh, i bet you can see, tell it oh he said oh i can see one swing i can pick out 10 things wrong with it and the one thing that that, that she in this case needs to fix mm. okay great um what if her parents are getting divorced and she is mm. trying to hit home runs now because she feels like she needs to make good on all the money that they've invested and she's really feeling the pressure mm. and that's why her hips are flying right. open oh you know yeah might miss that because yeah you're not wrong to say okay well this is what's going on with your hips that's inefficient but is that really the highest leverage point that's what i'm talking about with the power of relationship mm -hmm. and and connection and how everything's related and it ties totally in like with what you're talking about with you it's like well with the, the body it's like okay well there's this, the fascist stretch you're getting this stretch from this hip up to this shoulder. What? You know, that <laughs> let's it's about your hip. No, it's not. It's it's about a body. Right. One of the things I, I told you in an email, um, that I'm taking this anatomy trains guy, this other the are, other Meyer. Are, are you doing the yoga? Are you doing the yoga one? Yeah. I'm doing it too. Yeah, I'm doing it too. Cool. And now he's on the feet? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um so he's talking about how normally anatomy is taught in parts because it seems like you should be able to do that and and you can except for there isn't really an isolated thing it's a whole body like what he was talking about you think of it as a as a, as a plant rather mm -hmm. than a machine yeah than a robot yeah yeah mm -hmm. and then you can oh take this part just do this with your hands and if you say that and it's like the player might be thinking, well, geez, my dad wants me to do the opposite <laughs> with my hands. I'm going to do this, and now he's totally conflicted, but some 13-year-old kid's not going to say, but my dad does do this. Right. Uh, instead, he's just going to wear them both and try and please you and then try and please his dad. Yeah. And and so when you say, oh, I'm just, I'm just moving his hands, <laughs> like, well... <laughs> No, you're not. You pick up one end of the stick, the other end is coming up. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's there's so much more going on and it, than people tend to realize. We're not really trained that way in the West to think of, of that whole, you know, that's where, again, I like, well, here's this load and here's what's actually happening. You know, you have that one 